Thank you so much, Dallas. It's lovely music. I'm just going to say that you all already knew I was crazy, so you've been warned. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I need that when I'm in the grocery store. And this is why. When I go to the grocery store, uh, and I'm so thankful, by the way, that my wife is so good at shopping because I would never make it out. I, I go to choose peanut butter, and, and it, this is what I see. And I'm going, oh, golly, uh, do I want peanut or, or almond or peas? What the heck? Do I want all natural? Do I want 90% peanuts? Do I want... Partially hydrate. How do you even say that? It's so confusing. We have so many options anymore. And for those of you who are my age or older, we remember back when there weren't very many options, right? You went to the store to get peanut butter, and there were like three different kinds, right? The red kind, the green kind, the blue kind. That was it. Now you go... (laughs) And I get dizzy walking in. You know, I'm just like, oh, how do I know which one? And then once you figure out what kind you want, then there's the prices. And then there's the different stores and the different prices. And the sale. you could spend the rest of your life figuring out what kind of peanut butter to get. And then you'd be wrong because they would have brought out something new and you'd have to go through it all again. Life can be very confusing sometimes, and not just at the grocery store. There's so many different perspectives out there. And it's not enough in this country to be ambivalent about those many perspectives. Oh, no, if you don't actively praise a particular perspective when its zealots come marching by, you get called names and slandered on social media. It's maddening. So let's zoom out for just a minute because it's easy to get caught up in the trees and miss the forest. So what are the important landmarks for us to remember in this life with all of the different kinds of peanut butter staring us in the face? Number one, Christ has come. God created, Satan rebelled, Man chose sin and ruined creation. God revealed his purposes and himself as he began his great rescue plan. The Old Testament predicts, demonstrates, and explains himself and his plan in many stories. We are also tutored by the law we cannot keep, that we cannot save ourselves. We must have a Savior, and we do. As Christmas approaches, yes, it's that time of year again. (laughs) Christmas is coming. As it approaches, we remember that Christ has come. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet did not sin. 
He is the firstborn of many brethren, the image of the invisible God. If we have seen him, we have seen the Father. He came to his people, but they did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave the right to be called sons of God. That's worth celebrating, isn't it? Merry Christmas. I uh, read somewhere that in Old English, the word merry doesn't actually mean happy like we use it to mean. It was originally meant to indicate mighty, as in potent. Have a mighty Christmas. Has a little different ring to it, doesn't it? God make you mighty, gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Number two. After he came, Christ died. The only solution to the rebellion of sin against God's holiness is death. Blood was spilled in every sacrifice of the Old Testament and in many pagan cultures in a hopeless attempt to pay the price required for sin. Only a sinless man could pay that price, and he would not need to do so. But what if he wanted to? What if he wanted to because of his great love for the sinful? Only God could have such love for sinful man. And so Christ has died. No other sacrifice can be made, nor is any needed. Justice is satisfied by the blood of Christ. And only through accepting the sacrifice personally do we become part of Christ's body on earth in baptism. Landmark number three. Story didn't stop there. Christ is risen. I still haven't found his body. God demonstrated that he not only has power over sin, but power over death in the afterlife. Jesus reminded us that no one took his life from him. Oh no. He laid it down himself when he was good and ready. According to John 10:18. And then he took it up again when he chose. None of the restrictions that apply to humans' death or participation in the afterlife apply to him. Christ is risen, and we too will rise to enjoy that same kind of indestructible life one day. Death no longer has dominion over him or over us. We need not walk in fear of death or despair of sin. Landmark number four, Christ will come again, guaranteed. It's happening. More certain than the sunrise, more determined than human passion or conviction can comprehend, Christ will come again. He wants us more than any groom ever wanted his bride. Now, there are important ramifications thereof. First, God's justice will be served. Guaranteed. Job 36.6, He does not keep the wicked alive, but he gives justice to the afflicted. Evil will be punished completely. I need to be reminded of that. Because this world doesn't present that picture very often. God's mercy does have a time limit. We cannot bring that kind of perfect justice to our world on our own, much as we would like to. But God will. 
and we will all be surprised about when it happens. How many different endings of the world have you guys lived through already? Five or six? More? I can remember at least three or four in my own lifetime, and I'm not that old yet, I hope. Got to be careful how I phrase that one. As far as I can tell, we are uh, called, we're not called to figure out the time or make any predictions and even to pay very little mind to worldly circumstances as indicators of his coming, except to realize that the time grows ever nearer. Jesus even advocates completely ignoring clamor and hype surrounding events that others will say indicates the end times. Luke 17, 23, when they say he is here, oh no, he's over here, oh he's in the inner rooms, he's out in the desert, he's here, he's there. Jesus says, don't believe it, ignore it, it's not the real thing. Don't be fooled by cheap imitations. And then, since he's coming back, we have work to do that is valuable to our Lord. In several parables, Jesus admonished his disciples to be doing his Father's work when he returned. Luke twelve forty two, the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible manager that his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time? Jesus exhorts us also to be ready for his return, even though we don't know when he will come. Luke twenty one thirty six. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So be ready for the unexpected, but be busy with what we've already been told. Those are the two modes we are to maintain in these last days. When we take communion, we put this into practice. We remember and proclaim his death until he comes again. We look backwards and forwards. We are ready to drink the wine new with him in his kingdom as we are busy proclaiming his death and what it means. That's why we need reminders, because we forget. We were born into a love story in the middle of a war that's still raging between good and evil. There's simply no other place to exist. Things are not as they seem. Your place in the battle is important. You matter more than you think you do. You are dangerous. Every battle involves an enemy and wounded. We are called to engage both. In the U.S. military, soldiers must be prepared to switch instantaneously from violent destruction of enemies to controlled cooperation and trust with allies to enthusiastic, gentle humanitarian aid for refugees and back again. Every local they meet could be an ally or a victim or a traitor. Only by engaging can we tell which is which. So in our spiritual war, here are the rules for our engagement. Number one, first rule of engagement, engage and provoke. Jesus did both. 
The disciples followed suit. They didn't shy away from controversy, discomfort, awkwardness, pain, disgust, or loneliness. Jesus was purposeful, intentional, very driven in every encounter because each person was his creation, and he loved them. We are to love them as well. Love for another refuses to fall into apathy or ignorance. If you have difficulty keeping those terms straight, I have a joke for you. There was a coach whose player was giving a very lackluster performance, so he pulled the player aside and said, Son, what is wrong with you? Are you ignorant or just apathetic? The player said, Coach, I don't know and I don't care. Hope you never have that player. The second thing to keep in mind as we engage in our spiritual war is that we have to disarm and defeat. Lies are to be contended with. Arguments are to be cast down. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God is to be vehemently assailed until it lies in ruins, never to rise again. Sometimes it's tricky to neutralize a weapon without injuring the one trying to use it. Some of that depends on the other person, of course, but we have to remember that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not out to get the other people. We must strive to help free not only the lost, but increasingly the saved from the power of the arguments they put forth so that they may not be oppressed or oppress others anymore by these same arguments. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26 gives us some good pointers. It says, The Lord's slave must not quarrel. Now, quarreling is not the same as contending. Quarreling means you're trying to show that somebody else is wrong. That's what little kids do on the playground, right? We're not supposed to quarrel. We must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing opponents with gentleness. If you remember in the movie uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, it's a, based on a book by C.S. Lewis, there's a mouse named Reepicheep who's an excellent swordsman. He takes it on himself to teach and to train Eustace, who is a terrible swordsman. And in the movie, it's a great picture of gentle instruction, Eustace didn't think it was very gentle, but it really was. Reepicheep outduels him, outthinks him, outdoes him in, in every way, but doesn't hurt him, doesn't kill him, you know, doesn't injure him in doing so. That's the picture from 2 Timothy. We're dueling, but not to the death, because we're not trying to kill the person. We're trying to kill the argument. We're trying to disarm and defeat because the rest of that passage goes on this way. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, having been captured by him to do his will. Almost as if they're possessed in a way, possessed by their devotion to a false argument. Third rule of engagement, persuade and instruct as we present the truth in love, as we show love in word and deed, 
We seek to shine the light of God's rescue plan into the hopeless despair that must be the final end of every other road in this life. Every other religion involves salvation by works. The good news that man's effort can better himself. Don't you think by this time we'd have figured it out if we could? How long have we been trying this the wrong way? You ever watch those uh, robots that clean the floor and, and they bump into something and they keep bumping, bumping, bumping? Yeah. Only Christianity requires the horror and despair of man's utter futility as its first step. We are helpless to save ourselves from sin. Only Jesus can save us, and he chose to do so. That is our good news. There is a Savior. Now, there are many weeds and thorns, hard ground and stones to cut through to plant the seeds of God's message. But we may not be the first or the last to prepare that ground. We must be patient and obedient to do our part and trust that God will give the increase in his time. Fourth rule of engagement, disciple and build up. Preach the word, Paul tells Timothy. Faith comes by hearing. Train up a child in the way he should go. Proverbs uses the phrase, my son, listen to me, over and over again. In Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 2, he tells the churches how every demographic is to behave. The older men and women are responsible for teaching and training the young. The young are responsible to learn, to listen, and get God's word inside of them. We're glad for Bible Bowl. And as a congregation, we are charged to spur one another on to good works in Hebrew 10.24. You ever ridden a horse? Spurs kind of hurt, don't they? They poke uncomfortably, right? The rider prods suddenly when the beast is resting, right? Sometimes that's what we're supposed to do to each other. In love, of course. But that also means we must be willing to receive those kinds of messages from each other. Death to self. Mm. So with these as our rules of engagement and our warfare not being physical but spiritual... There are some practices necessary to employ in any successful battle, especially the battle of ideas, as we wait for and work for our Lord. Number one, be bold, confident, unashamed of our purpose. 1 Corinthians 14.8, if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? You ever ask someone a question and they say, Yes? You're like, answer the question. We've got to come out strong. You ever spoken to a group? You ever taken friends to dinner? Ever made kindergartners go inside? You can't be soft and gentle and get that to work, can you? You try taking three people to a movie and trying to get them to decide where to go, and it can take you all afternoon. There is a place for being large and in charge when it's time. You have to 
earn respect, and sometimes you have to earn attention to get people to understand things. And we see in our country and culture a very strong trend towards avoidance of any kind of substantive ideological debate or conflict, while at the same time violently slandering anybody who disagrees with how we feel at the moment. And then in five minutes when our feelings change, then we violently <laughs> get on to anybody who disagrees with that. I used to tell my teenage students, uh, it's hard being a teenager because what you feel like is that right now how things feel, that's the way it's always been, that's the way it's always going to be. <laughs> and then in five minutes when it changes, that's the way it's always been, that's the way it's always going to be. <laughs> We're smarter than that, aren't we? Aren't we a little beyond that? It's like a culture of three-year-olds. You ever tried to work with a three-year-old who's always gotten in their way? They are insufferable snots. That's just the only way to put it. Nothing is ever good enough. Nothing is fast enough. They've never been compassionate. They've never really suffered. How about we act differently than that? How about we tell our feelings to sit down and shut up? They don't get to lead. I'm going to show you a clip here in a second. Uh, in the movie Inside Out, anyone seen that one? Pixar film? Those of you with kids, very good, okay. In, in this movie, we see the inside of the brains of each person in the film. And inside their brains, uh, there's different characters color-coded by the emotions they represent. There's the red anger character. There's the blue depression character. There's the green disgust character and so on. And throughout the movie, we go into the brain and these characters negotiate for control over the person's response. I'm going to show you a clip of the movie's interpretation of a cat's brain as it gets led by its feelings. Let's take a look. There goes the dog. That's the control panel. Watch the red one on the right. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> Do you feel like that sometimes? Sometimes like something got in your head and just pushed a bunch of random buttons and you're like, hmm, we don't have to stay that way. The world may think there's nothing better, but we know better. We know we can take every thought captive under the obedience of Jesus Christ. And we know that it's not just us guiding us. There's a song by Mercy Me called Ghost. It says, there's a ghost inside of me. Good song. So into this world of sensitivity and quick offense, we're called not to give in. We're called to have focused, nonchalant boldness. As if we cared more about our purpose than the feelings of the people watching us. Oh, wait. We are supposed to be that way, aren't we? 
The church has a long history of martyrdom, groundbreaking inspiration, and strategic victory for acting this way. We're not called to cower, hide, or avoid conflict. We're called to step up, step out, and stand forth no matter what others say or feel. Sometimes we are called to do so, especially because people won't like it. We must speak the truth we know. I'm going to read you the lyrics of a song, and then I'm going to show you a portion of the music video to kind of give you a picture of this attitude. The lyrics go like this. Hey, hey you, in the corner shaking in your boots. You got one, one of two. You got the shaking right, but the fear won't do. We always say that we have unspeakable joy, so let our feet do all the talking when our words fall short. We got reason to get up, reason to get down. He done traded our sin for joy, and now that joy wants out. Happy dance. Second verse says, Hey you, in the corner with the concrete shoes, it's okay to cut loose. It ain't about how you move, it's about what moves you. We're so consumed with what we think we're supposed to be that we stop living like we know that we are free. We got reason to get up. Well, you'll see it in a minute. Show us the first part of Happy Dance, if you would. It's another Mercy Me song. All right, I think that's good. Thanks. Isn't that fun? Oh, my goodness. We of all people have joy, and sometimes it needs to get out. So, are we flagrant 
Christians. You think we can get Jim Grinnell to dance like that up here? <laughs> Are we bold and daring, hoping that others will ask about what's different about us? We must be salt. Salt is supposed to make our world thirsty for living water. Second attitude of practice is to know what we believe, to know why we believe it so certainly, to be able to clearly articulate it to others and to defend our beliefs against lies, accusations, and assaults. Because the enemy sows a lot of confusion, lies, misinformation, fake news, relativism. See that all over the place. When life begins, when it should end, what marriage means, and whether masculine and feminine should mean anything at all. He entices the world toward eroding definitions, authority, and standards. The enemy promises freedom, but we know slavery is the result. We must practice explaining, teaching and gently instructing, what we believe and why we are convinced of its truth. We must often review the basics of our faith and why we differ so sharply from other perspectives. If we can't explain our decision and can't distinguish ourselves from other religions, why should anyone join? Third step, third practice, is to call out the pretenders, the sin, the lies, and the misguided. Ask the questions to provoke others to think. Live the life that provokes others to question. Think ahead. There's things we can do to prevent the enemy ambushing and neutralizing us. For we are weapons. Romans 6.13 admonishes us to offer ourselves and every part of ourselves to God as weapons of righteousness. I can get up for that. Therefore, we need to be armed. We need to engage the enemy. And when we do, we have to expect that the enemy is going to work against us. We can start inside our minds. Call out those lies you've believed when the light of God's word and his spirit show them for what they are. Wake up from the music, the movie, or the words that contradict the truth and confront those false ideas before they become permanent fixtures in your perspective without your intentional permission. 1 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive under the obedience of Jesus Christ. You ever taken someone captive? If you've had kids, you've had to do it. <laughs> because every child has, at some point or other, physically resisted their parent, right? It takes a little work. It takes sometimes getting a little angry. It takes you being dadgummed determined to outlast that little booger no matter what it takes. Can I get an amen? <laughs> That's what it takes to take a thought captive sometimes. You've got to wrestle it to the ground and beat it into submission. Thankfully, we have the power to do that. We can do this in our homes with our children and with each other. We can teach the young what we have learned why we chose Christ when he chose us, and how we have fared in our battles with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have to be wise as serpents in what we watch 
listen to, and choose to ingest. We are what we eat, spiritually as well as physically. We have to check our sources of guidance for reliability, knowing the enemy is the father of lies, and he's especially effective in the use of negative suggestions. You notice the questions that he asks. He's smart enough not to come right at Eve with a flat, straight statement. He comes at her with a question. Did God really say? How committed are you? If you are the Son of God. He's so slick. He often asks questions to get us to provide the false answer or jump to the false conclusion and think it's our own when it's really not. He helps us to design imaginations based on beliefs we have not confronted or demanded their credentials. And in addition, there's submission to facts or to God's word. And the enemy uses many sources to make messages of defeat, distrust, and despair loud and belligerently persistent. For example, studies show that our world is actually safer than it was decades ago. Crime stats are down. But is that what you hear? Is that what you see? We're exposed to every crime worldwide in real time. So we think lots of crime is normal. But it's not. We must not fall for the lie that most of life is like the news. Most of it is not. How could it be? Everyone would be in jail or dead. But we don't always confront that, do we? We don't always wrestle it to the ground and say, you are wrong. Shut up. Things are not as they seem. Remember that the enemy never tells us the whole story. In each and every nation, God is on the move. We hear of Muslims coming to Christ with nearly every missionary that comes back from Asia and the Middle East. We know the church is alive and well in Africa, China, the Americas, even in Europe. And how many other such reports does the church have in its store of testimonies? We need to trust the writer of history, not just to merely pose questions or display pathos as some films and books do, but the writer of history intends to resolve conflict. And we need to trust him to do so in our lives. Now, we have landmarks to avoid getting lost in life's fog, modes of operation as we look for Christ's return, rules of engagement with the enemy and the wounded, and important practices for battling ideas. I'm going to review them again in a minute. But we need one more thing. We need each other. We are the church, Christ's body on earth. We were made to function together in Christ, to build each other up. Our enemy knows we are weakest when we're alone. No one keeps us in prayer. He knows he has little chance of defeating or derailing us when we are together, focused, active, and interactive. He knows from experience he has a far greater chance to distract and tempt us when we are unfocused, in transition, alone and tired, frustrated with life, with ourselves and with others, and especially when we're discouraged, disappointed, and insecure. My wife and I watch police dramas, and I'm sure she gets tired of me yelling at the TV, Call for backup! Because you've seen them, right? Two tough cops armed with 
uh, pistol going after this maniac with artillery barricaded somewhere. One of them's like, you go around the back, I'll kick in the door. Call for backup. It's what the SWAT team's for, dude. You don't have to do it all on your own with your pea shooter. I wish I called for backup in my own life more often. We all need backup on a call, a buddy in a foxhole, a friend on the line, someone to believe with us and pray for us. All of us are weak. All of us fall short. All of us need help. On Wednesday mornings, my wife and I go to a workout class at 6 a.m. Some people in the class are really round and squishy looking. Some people in the class are young and lean and just really irritating. But halfway through the 45-minute class, every one of us is breathing too hard to speak, sweating too hard to pretend that we look neat, and is in too much pain to keep the right form. It's a great leveler. You look around and go, yep, squishy can't do it. Yep, lean young thing can't do it. I can't do it. We're all good. We need to see each other this way. Life knocks everyone down. We are all equally incapable of holiness on our own and equally in need of support as we struggle. We are also equally capable of lifting up each other in word and in prayer. What if all someone else needed to get through today was you? What if your words or prayers or smile was the one thing necessary for your brother or sister to win a battle? Andrew Peterson wrote a song in which he said, So sit down and write that letter. Sign up and join the fight. Sink in to all that matters. Step out into the light. Let go of all that's passing. Lift up the least of these. Time to take some action. Don't forget in the darkness what you hear in the light. Matthew ten twenty seven. Jesus says, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in a whisper. Proclaim on the housetops. Because it isn't just the lost that need to hear the truth. Believers need to hear it too. So as we go into the world, remember, Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We are to be ready and busy for the return of the King. Every battle has an enemy and wounded. We are to engage both. Engage and provoke. Disarm and defeat. Persuade and instruct. And disciple and build up. Be bold, confident in God, and unashamed. Know what you believe, why you believe it, and be able to articulate that to others. Call out the lies, the sin, the pretenders, and the misguided. We need each other. Speak the truth you know into the confusion you will find. And as we wait for the Lord's return, be strong, take heart, and use your happy dance. Please join me in prayer. Use us, Lord, as you will to fulfill your plans. Help us to remember the truth we know, to hold fast to you and to your word and to each other. 
We thank you for guiding and leading us through each moment, every interaction. In Jesus' name.